Welcome to the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jackie Forsyth, and also co-founder of the network. The purpose of the Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network is to grow, strengthen, and promote research on women in sport and exercise with the ultimate goal of optimizing women's athletic success and their participation. With these podcasts, we wish to bring you information from leading academics who are researching about women in sport and exercise and provide you with advice and support for the exercising female. Please remember our disclaimer that the opinions, content and recommendations contained within our podcast are for general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, treatment or diagnosis. Woodford is a chartered sport and exercise psychologist at the Sporting Mindset and co-programme lead for the master's degree in sport and exercise psychology at the University of the West of England in Bristol. She has worked in private practice for over 10 years supporting athletes, coaches and parents to enhance athletic performance and mental well-being. She is passionate about women in sport and exercise and her current applied practice work has a strong focus on supporting adolescent female athletes. Hi, so welcome, Lindsay, to this podcast for our Women in Sport and Exercise Academic Network. Glad to have you here. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So first of all, if you don't mind, Lindsay, I'd like to ask you about the chapter you wrote in our book, The Exercising Female, because you wrote about the adolescent female athlete. Can you just tell us, first of all, about your particular experiences that you've had as a sports psychologist working with the exercising female? Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I was delighted to be asked to write this chapter on adolescence. Um, my, my work predominantly um, involves adolescent athletes. And interestingly, um, yeah, female athletes do make up a large proportion um, of my clients at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's an area that I have a, a lot of experience in. And it was a it was yeah, it was a really good excuse to really kind of um, get uh, get myself um, immersed in the research in the area as well. So yeah, yeah, the reason why um, adolescence, I think, is, is really um, important for us to, to understand is adolescence was always known as that kind of 10 to 19-year-old age, um, but research now shows that it's a much bigger age range than that. We're, we're looking at more sort of 10 to 24 years old. Um, so just imagine yeah, that that's a large um, pe- period um, of time for, for young people. And the percentage of athletes in high performance sports that fall into that category is huge. I, I can't remember this statistic off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, the, the vast majority of our athletes who are on um, Olympic pathway programmes fall into that age range. So they, I think the average age of um, Olympic athletes at London was 26. So yes, yeah, so, so leading up sort of the yeah, 20, 21 to 34. Um, yeah, so a lot of athletes that I work on sort of, yeah, high performance level, international level, fall into that adolescent um, age group. And then so I think the other side of that um, is the age of dropout. So if you look at the kind of exercise perspective and the work I do to um, help encourage girls to continue um, in, in physical activity, the dropout starts at age 11. So again, it's, it's that adolescent. So to me, it's an absolutely fascinating, um, yeah, age group to be working with. And and one way I think you can make the most change. Um, so to go back to, to the question that you asked me, so that the work that I do with adolescent athletes, a lot of it is is around confidence building. 
so when you go through that kind of that, that period of adolescence it's about identity formation so you know if you were um an adolescent who wasn't only athlete you know you're, you to partake in that sort of exploratory behavior to help you make your know, decisions about um yeah your values your interests your skills the type of person that, that you want to be um and you know it, it's a bit of a bumpy path you kind of be happy ups and downs you experience things but but that gives you really essential uh, coping strategies that you use when you're you know in your adult life but if you're an elite athlete you know you, you can't do that so sport hinders that identity formation phase that's you, you know sport is about conforming about compliance it's a very structured environment which means that um high performance athletes are, are exposed to um yeah, I guess the risk of identical identity foreclosure in, in sports psychology and that they become very, um, yeah, very high athletic identity, which can be problematic. So, so, so yeah, it's a sort of, I work with, with both populations. So the, the elite athletes in the adolescent stage and, and the kind of challenges that they experience, um, which are similar and different to, yeah, working with adolescent young girls and, and trying to encourage them to participate in physical activity. Um, so it's what I was trying to do in my chapter is try and identify yeah the, the yeah the challenges um for, for both populations that exercising people uh, girls and the, the athletic level as well but go back to what you said at the start when you talked about um the age of adolescence being up to what did you say 24 26 yeah. is that because they in that age you would experience have the same kind of experiences is that why the you've extended the age range um I think it's just that people, you know, well, uh, research and experience has shown that the adolescence isn't that, it's not that cut and dry. It's, yeah, it it goes on for, for a longer period of time. And if you think, yeah, you kind of finish school at 18 and, you know, you're an adult, you're not really an adult at 18. And, you know, that's that is a big transition to go from leaving school at 18 to going in, out into the workplace or going on to further education. That transition is is massive. And I think we've started to identify now, I think rightly so, that your early 20s is a very turbulent time, almost as much so as, 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 as being a teenager. And I think we're just, yeah, acknowledging um, that as well. And you said also that you, at the moment, you have worked or you have worked in the past with quite a high proportion of young female athletes. Mm-hmm. As a sports psychologist, on the whole, who tends do you t- tend to come to you as a consultant? Is it an equal proportion of males and females? It's an interesting question, actually. The the, the younger athletes that I work with tend to be females. Um, so the the young sort of adolescent female athletes that I'm working with at the moment um, are ones who are involved in high performance sport. So they're on um, yeah the, the sort of national pathway programs in in elite sport. So they're the, they're the youngsters that have been recognised for being exceptionally talented, you know either you know physically or skill wise, and the, the sort of um, challenges issues that they present with um, are a lot to do with adolescence. So they often feel like they they don't fit in. They struggle to relate to their peers at school. So they have a lot of um, yeah problems fitting in because of that um, that, that yeah the structured environment of sport. So you know they can't engage in that exploratory behaviour that's so important for their um, identity formation. So you know they can't go to parties with their friends. They're not exploratory with, with regards to relationships because they're training every night, every weekend. They're away at competition. So. They find that very difficult, um, and then added to that is the is the exam pressure. So they're doing GCSEs, they're doing A levels, so trying to sustain that yeah that that balance between the academic commitments that they have and being an athlete 
spending a lot of time away from home they can find very difficult and also I think the um the other then problems I see a lot of athletes who are injured so when um, these young athletes then get injured if they have a very high athletic identity they then have a lot of problems with emotionally and psychologically adjusting to the to the rehabilitation process because if their identity is all about being an athlete and suddenly that's taken away from them they're not an athlete because they sustained an injury they might not have the peer support you know if your you know, average girl got injured who wasn't an elite athlete they'd still have their friends and have that support group whereas the elite athletes don't they're suddenly yeah they're not with their athletic peers they're with their peers in school so they they yeah they lack that sort of that, that social support as well I think so that's yeah the sort of sort of work I do um yeah I don't know why, why it tends to be more females than males I don't know whether it's because they have a harder time during adolescence um or because it's it's mothers that get in touch with me about their daughters I don't know I couldn't say I haven't got any empirical evidence to back it up just it's you know my experience of yeah of working with um with, with young athletes and I also do work in yeah in schools with yeah their physical education department and trying to promote yeah engagement and physical activity in in young girls and do you work also with more adults I don't know how you would define the adults then in that case but do you also work with them and there are there any particular issues as a sports psychologist that you've come across that are particularly pertinent to women um yeah I'd say um with the sort of the, the the adults it's fairly balanced between men and women who I work with um with the women some well some of the issues that they they tend to have is the kind of feel, feeling of guilt so guilt around wanting to be um successful in their sport when they you know they, they should be looking after the home they should be bringing up the children they should be earning money so I think they're I think women take on a lot of different roles and they feel a lot of responsibility towards yeah maintaining each of their roles and their athletic role tends to be sort of further down the I suppose the yeah the, the order of importance in the way that they see it so, so so yeah I think a lot of the the work that I do is helping them yeah managing time understand why they're participating in the sport why it's important to them why they're motivated to do it um, and helping them yeah build their confidence in in what it is that they're they're doing it's almost the opposite thing then. So when a female is younger, they might have um, issues with the identity because they just have this one identity of being an athlete. But then as they move into, say, motherhood or when they're older, they've got um, more responsibilities, then they have different identities. But again, there's issues associated with that. It's almost like you can't win. Yes, it's not the case for everyone. But yes, yeah, some of the work that I've done has been around that kind of feeling of oh, guilt I shouldn't be playing sport I should be with my family or I should be doing this it's, whenever anyone says should word it's a sort of red flag I'm like, oh should why why should you tell me about should but couldn't that be a good thing though in that case because you say that it's more healthful for younger adolescents to have multiple identities isn't that then better as a a woman athlete that they do have different identities then I can identify as a, a woman as an athlete can could potentially be more healthy would that yeah. be right yes no, absolutely absolutely so you run this sporting mindset um project um yeah. and I can put a link on the show notes to this I've watched some of your videos oh, by great. the way so they were really really good and definitely recommended so I particularly liked I don't even know if you can remember this but you talked about sigh speak see repeat 
something to do with handling pre-race nerves. Yeah. Um, have you got any other advice that you can give for, say, managing nerves during an event? Um, yeah, so the so the reason I did the videos in the first place and sort of designed my website the way I did is um, I'm really passionate about sharing knowledge and I wanted sports psychology um, to be accessible yeah, to, to as many people as possible. Um, so it's not um, just about, yeah, supporting elite athletes, but about... Yeah, helping everyone yeah engage in physical activity um because it's it's so beneficial um not just physically but you know emotionally psychologically um and i think there are so many lessons that you can learn from sport and taking part in sports as you said about how to um you know, increase your confidence um teamwork about coping with nerves and so a lot of the strategies and things that i talk about in my videos whilst they may appear you know a little bit tongue-in-cheek and I, I do giggle and smile a lot and involve furry animals where possible um you know they, they are all based on yeah in, in empirical evidence and, and my experience today um and i think they're things that you can in use in in everyday life so so talking about things like nerves yes yeah, so some of the things that i talked about in my video on, on how to control your nerves was about um, relaxation so um, yeah ensuring that you know you take deep breaths you get deep breath through your, your diaphragm so that deep belly breathing rather than up through your chest so if you're feeling nervous you know during a sporting event during an interview whatever it happens to be you know to really be aware of your breathing um, can be really important and also to be aware of of what you're saying to yourself so what's going on in your head at, at the time you know you're saying positive things you're building yourself up you're giving yourself confidence or are you decreasing your confidence, saying negative things to yourself? So that can have a really big impact. So I think the two things I, I would um, yeah, re recommend um, with regards to, to nerves is be aware of your breathing. So physiologically, just try and calm everything down by this really deep breath through through your belly. And the second one is being aware of what you're saying to yourself. You know, are you saying something positive? Are you building yourself up? Are you setting yourself up for success? Or are you saying negative things? You know, you're putting yourself down, you're battering your confidence, making yourself feel feel more nervous because yeah, your body can only do what your mind tells it to do. So if you if you're saying to yourself, I can't do this, I'm gonna to totally mess up, I'm a complete loser, it makes you feel more stressed. You, your body starts to tense, your breathing goes up, your heart rate you know, increases, all these physiological responses start happening, and you just feel worse. Nerves are very, very physiological, but they are determined by by your mind so they can they absolutely can be controlled but it's one of those things you you need to learn to control and once you understand that connection between yeah your mind and your body it's a very powerful thing I can definitely recognize all those symptoms that you've just talked about for me anyway on a personal level so I think those videos would be really helpful <laughs> for somebody like me um, but do you think putting those videos up has made it easier for people to come and contact you as a, on a consultancy basis or do you think people look at the videos and think oh oh I've got some self-help here so I don't need you anymore what, what do you think what advice would you give for other sports psychologists who have similar websites about putting blogs and videos up is it a good thing is does it do you think it attracts people in or do you think people look at it and go oh thanks for that I'm off it's almost yeah. like how we google things and we don't need to go to the doctor anymore because we think we know it all so a really, really interesting question, and I thought long and hard about it at the time. And I, and, and in my experience, what I found is by putting a video out that it just it puts a face behind a name. And I think with a subject like psychology, there's been a lot of stigma around psychology for you know, many, many years. And anything you can do to break down barriers, to decrease that stigma, to get people, you know, in, engaging with it, I, I think the better. And the, the, the response the feedback I've had from, from clients I've worked with have said, we loved your videos. And I think it's especially, it's been useful for reaching out to young people 
who, you know, if they, they're mums of Google sports psychology and they're coming up with this list of impressive credentials and research publications um, and lots of like complicated psychological jargon, which to be quite honest is complicated and boring and I am a psychologist. <laughs> It's just really off-putting, whereas I, I tried to make my website very interactive, very dynamic, kind of, yeah, videos, um, images, photos, you know, this is me, this is the person that I am, this is what I do. Yes, I've got the qualifications, but actually I'm quite fun, I'm quite engaging, and well, I like to think so. I've been an athlete myself, and yeah, here's some stuff that I've done, here's some things for you to try, and what it means is people can kind of dip their toe without committing too early, and they can have a go and think, okay, actually, you know, I, I tried some of the recommendations Lindsay made in her video, and it worked and you know she seems quite fun and smiling that she's got a cute cat or whatever it happens to be it's just about being a person and letting people know you know I'm a person I'm a human being um I, I want to talk to you I want to hear your stories I want to find out about you and and to help you you know improve your performance and your and your well-being so I, I think yeah I think it has been really helpful I must do some more videos when you say that I must do that. <laughs> yeah with more fairy animals in because did you hear did you see that post recently somebody said that they put something on Twitter and it was of a cute puppy or something like that and they got more likes on that than they've ever done <laughs> posting anything else <laughs> yeah. okay so um I've also read that you've you're doing more work recently with uh, on overtraining so there, is there anything specific for females in terms of that, in terms of psychological distress as a part of overtraining, something that's specific to women that you've come across? Um, yes, I've, yeah, kind of taken quite a different approach to the research on overtraining syndrome. So um, overtraining syndrome is an imbalance between um, load and recovery. So an athlete who is overtrained um, experiences unexplained um, yeah, sort of decrease in performance so that they're not performing at at a level they used to be and that they don't know why. They generally um, experience extreme fatigue. So someone who's overtrained is, yeah, the performance decreases, they're absolutely exhausted. They may have, um, uh, yeah, re recurrent infections, recurrent injuries, but there's no other underlying cause for it. So it's an extremely frustrating condition for athletes to have. And, you know, and the worst thing of all is that the only recommendation for um, helping improve those symptoms is rest. So you're telling an athlete who's trained to the highest possible level, you've got overtraining syndrome. We don't really know what overtraining syndrome is. And by the way, we, we can't diagnose it. Yeah, there's no diagnostic criteria for it. The only prevent a cure for at the moment is rest. So you know, psychological emotion, it's a very difficult condition to adjust to because there's no there's no end point. We can't say, well, in six weeks, you know, a broken leg might be better with overtraining syndrome, they don't know. So the work I'm doing at the moment is, is really trying to understand the lived experience of, of those athletes. So the research to date has tried to, um, yeah, sort of understand the kind of etiology of the conditions and pathologize it. But actually what I'm kind of looking at from a very qualitative um, uh, position is to understand, yeah, the experiences, what is it like to experience overtraining syndrome so that, um, yeah, we can help yeah, support those athletes who are experiencing it and, and ultimately um, try and develop some sort of preventative measures for it. So with regards to, um, to female athletes, interestingly, um, the research today has shown that, it, that female athletes and endurance athletes tend to be at a higher risk. It, not, not sure why the research is inconclusive to date, but, but yeah, that's something that I, I'm kind of exploring is, is yeah, well, why, might, why might that be the case? You know, that generally, um, athletes who um, are susceptible to overtraining syndrome athletes who are highly motivated they, they absolutely want to succeed at, at all costs they have a high athletic identity they're quite perfectionistic 
um, the high achievers, um, not just in sport, but in, in academia, in, um, in in their kind of careers as well. So, yeah, trying to identify sort of I suppose, like psychological characteristics that make up these athletes that could be susceptible. Um, but in answer to your question, I don't know. I don't know yet. <laughs> I wish I did have an answer, and hopefully um, we will we will have one one day. But there's there's more questions than than answers with regards to the training syndrome. So if people wanted to find out more from you about that, where could they find that out? By contacting you directly or is this something that you're going to do a project on or do some publications on? Yeah, so um, I'm doing yeah, some research at the moment. So I've just published an article in the um, British Journal of Sports Medicine um, in a series called Patient Voices, um, which is yeah, fan- fantastic um, platform for athletes to tell their stories um, yeah, of, of various conditions to help inform um, you, know, you know, these practitioners working in the field, so they understand, you know, what, what is it like, what's the lived experience of these athletes. So, yeah, I've done, yeah, what, one article there, and I'm currently conducting some research. So, yeah, that article, um, yeah, it's available, but if anyone wants to take part in my research as experience of a training syndrome, then please do um, get, get in touch with me, drop me an email. I'm always, yeah, really grateful for anyone that wants to get involved. Well, Lindsay, if you could send those links over, I could put them also on. Uh, that would be a great thing if people can contact you. At least they know how to get in touch or or the, any of the things that you've talked about, actually. If you want me to link those in, I can do. Anyway, it's been a, a pleasure to talk to you today. I've learned lots of things. I'm definitely going to have a look at all the work that you've done in terms of all the videos and the future videos that you'll be producing. It's been great to speak to you. Thanks very much. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome.